0: Hey, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin from the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. I apologize. I have not been getting these out as much as I'd like. I've been a little bit busy with the newsletter, and I have a new podcast with Johan Brunel called Outcomes. It is previews each stage and tries to predict the winner. It's a betting-focused podcast. I can include a link in the show notes here. If you want to get it before the stage, you do have to sign up to be a we do season pass holder. There is a deal with Beyond the Peloton where I can give you 12 free months of Beyond the Peloton premium access if you do that. And if you're a current subscriber, I will extend your subscription free for 12 more months. But in theory, it will not be interfering with my regular personal podcast schedule. It's just been a weird two weeks. But let's get into some Giro d'Italia talk. I'd love to talk about the, the ongoing GC battle and the stage battles that we've had, particularly with Matthew Vanderpool and Beniam Gourmet. Who was fantastic winning stage ten yesterday? Oh my, I've, that that was really impressive. Vanderpool is one of the most physically talented riders I've ever seen. He can climb and sprint, you know, better than almost anyone. You know, maybe Wout Van Aert is up there with him, but those two guys are. I thought the two most talented riders we'd seen in a long, long time. Uh, Biniam, who's five years younger than Vanderpool, we think of Vanderpool as a young rider. Biniam is twenty two versus twenty seven. Really, in his first professional season. He won that stage 10 so definitively, you know, it was really impressive. He just went like a head-to-head drag drag race, like 400 meters long on that straight in and just burned off Vanderpoel. Vanderpoel just sat sit up and just conceded the victory to Gourmet. And it was really, I was really, really happy to see Vanderpoel, who I, I thought is like a frosty Max Verstappen-esque Dutch character, kind of uh, like a, just like a difficult person or sore loser. But He was so gracious in defeat there that really, really uh, showed me a lot about Vanderpool that I didn't know before. So that was great to see. I was really impressed with Gourmet's ability to stay calm and and patient throughout the stage His Intermarché team, who is not a strong team, had to control the race basically from the gun. Um, The the last hundred kilometers of the stage were so hilly, so difficult to control. And they did it perfectly. They couldn't ride too hard because that would foster attacking and leave them exposed to, like, a vanderpol led raid. And they couldn't go too easy because it would bring sprinters like Damar and Gaviria to the line who are probably a little bit faster than Gourmet. So they, they threaded that needle perfectly. They got, to put this into perspective, they got four riders over the final climb. Ineos had one. They had no one with, with Carapaz. Intermarche has three riders with Gourmet and Domenico Pozzavivo executes a perfect, perfect lead half for him. was, I was really impressed with that team and with Gourmet personally. The, the level of talent we're seeing from this guy is shocking. And to become the first black African to win a Grand Tour stage is, is really, really, really stunning. It's actually crazy. It's kind of crazy it hasn't happened before. But when you think about the barriers to entry to the sport, in general uh, even for american riders who we have a lot of infrastructure here we have a lot of you know a lot of money goes into cycling and we can barely get grand tour stage winners so to come from a country where visas are even more difficult than they are from the us into europe and you know it's not there is actually he's from eritrea there is a good history of cycling in eritrea eritrea and rwanda actually have great local cycling scenes so that has given them a head up versus heads up versus someone from a country that maybe doesn't have the infrastructure or focus on cycling. Um, I think those are those both are like brutal dictatorships, though that that probably helps streamline the process internally and allow them to build roads and whatnot. But um, we won't focus on that right now. We'll just focus on the positive. All right, and we, I'm currently recording this during the sprint stage on stage 11. I think the Mars is going to win. It is this thing is a real. Real classic Giro sprint stage, and what's funny about the Giro is it definitely is more of a va, va- bene vibe um, versus the Tour de France. Instead of like you might have on a sprint stage of the Tour, so you know a team goes to the front and blows it up in the crosswinds. There's a GC day when you least expect it. Uh, not so much at the Giro d'Italia. It is it is chill, chill vibes, uh, just prosecco and and apérol spritz until we get to the Biggie mountains in the third week. So the next four or five days are going to just be. Really, I think really chill. We have a few like tricky courses, you know, like Thursday, tomorrow, there's some hills into Genoa. I just think these are not going to be DC days. Uh, Friday, we have, you know, it's like a plateau, hilly day. Saturday is is really, it's a difficult course to ride finishing in Torino. I don't think it's going to be GC day. I think essentially those guys are all into hibernation until we get to Sunday into the big mountains and then the week after that. We did see Ineos light it up on the final climb tomorrow or yesterday. I don't still don't totally understand that because it burned off all their riders. They actually weren't that strong, you know. Maybe Karapaz thought that there was some GC rider struggling in there and wanted to see if he could take some time. But that's weird to me because Karapaz is supposed to be. They've been riding defensively as if they're already the leaders of the race. If he's so confident, you know, judging by the way they've been riding. Why is he taking risks on a transition day and then isolating himself in the, into the final? That doesn't totally add up to me. The only thing I can, I can come to is stage nine to not go how they want it to up the blockhouse. It was a brutal mountain stage. I mean, the final climb at blockhouse is tough. It's like 13 kilometers at 8.5% average. That's not even like the hardest climb they're going to tackle here. But that is really, 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 really serious. It was won by Jai Henley, Roman Barday second. Carapaz is third. The, the big takeaway here is everyone was together that matters. I mean, Hinley, I don't consider him a favorite for the overall, maybe the podium. He's a very good rider, as we saw in 2020. Um, like some of the best mountain numbers we've seen, like better than Lance Armstrong. But I think that was more to do with the condensed COVID schedule and that the racing was just a lot different that year. So you have Hinley, Bardet, Carapaz, Landa, Almeida, um, and then Pozo Vivo coming in three seconds that are really impressive for a 39 year old who's, like, doing teammate duty one day and then GC duty the next day. Bookman behind them. Nibali actually in the mix, which was really interesting. But, you know, I think, you know, Ineos really launched Carapaz early on that climb. Like, four and a half kilometers to go. They didn't need to do that. Like, they sacrificed Richie Port. Richie Port was setting a pace for Carapaz. Carapaz tried to go for that classic Ineos sky knockout blow on the first big summit finish where you take four or five minutes from your Rivals and boom, days done. You coast into Paris. You win another Tour de France. That's how they've raced in the past years. I think that's what they're trying to do here. Did not work. I mean, Bardet and and Landa jumped right on him, and they looked so comfortable. I mean, Landa looked really good. You now, I do not, I do not totally believe in Mika Landa as like a race winner, but as my co-host on my other podcast, Johan Brunel, says, he's never been in a position this good, this late into a Grand Tour. He's always had to play catch up, and he's had some good results. I mean, he got fourth at the 2020 two Tour de France. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what he does here. Andy does look really fit. I thought the big winner of the first nine days was Joao Almeida. He, he got dropped in this climb, quote-unquote drop. He just wasn't even trying to follow people. You know, he was sitting at the back. I thought that was really weird early on the climb. I thought, hmm, is Joao going to get dropped and lose a bunch of time here? Those three guys attack. Joao just goes to the front of that group. You know, motors away. He's probably sitting a little over 400 watts that whole time. He doesn't He did not change his pace at all, and just kept reeling them in. And, and as, it was, as soon as he would get close, they would try to attack and drop him again. You could tell it was rattling them. They all started to look around and think, how are we going to get distance from this guy and then from my other breakaway compatriots? They couldn't do it. And then Joao just rolls in, same time as them. He's the GC leader, like the real, um, JP Lopez is, is leading the race technically. us in second, 12 seconds back, but Lopez is, will not figure into the final um, GC here, I've like been seeing stories where I was like, is he gonna take the Jersey all the way to Verona? No, he will not. Um, he's going to get dropped on, on Sunday. Um, so Almeida is like the winner of these first nine stages. He's leading the rest of the, of the GC racers. And the, the, the big thing here is I've not seen this mentioned. The, the race finishes in a time trial on stage 21. So not only does he not, he does not have to lead them into Verona. He's going to make up time on all of them in Verona, specifically Carapaz. You know They have to take time on him. So it's a massive failure that they, that they didn't do that. I, I've seen it like I just I'm seeing these articles of like how Ineos like destroyed stage nine where it's like, no, they, they failed in their objective. They needed to put time into, into Almeida. They did not do it. And the fact that they were attacking at the end of stage 10, you know, makes me think that they realized that they didn't get what they needed out of there. And then the more disturbing thing, and I mean, not disturbing, it's fantastic for us. is just how equal everybody was. Blockhouse, I could never, I could not find another instance where that many riders finished top Blockhouse together. I know there was a bit of a headwind, which makes it easier to stay together, but still six riders come into the finish of Blockhouse. That tells me these guys are very equal in, in fitness and in ability. So that's going to make it very hard for Ineos to to carve out a difference in that final week. And something about Ameda is, if you remember, he lost a bunch of time in the first week last year, and then was just lighting it up in the third week. You know, I don't know if he's going to have another third week like that. It would probably, you probably wouldn't assume that he can just replicate that. But if even just improves a little bit in going into the third week, he's going to win this race. You know, there's a lot of steep climbs. People think he's not a good steep climb climber, but the fact that he rides such a steady pace, he's such a high power output, and he doesn't weigh that much for a time trialist. You know, it's the shallow climbs, like the Tour de France climbs, the, like UAE Tour climbs, that are tough for him because he gets dropped early on, and then the pack in the front can pay, can uh, draft off each other, and he gets left behind. But in these steep climbs, he can just ride his own pace. There's no real aerodynamic advantage up front, so he can just reel everybody in. There's no pressure to. To race with them and to respond to their attacks, it's actually kind of silly to do so, and shows a little bit of insecurity from from, from those lead three. Where things get tricky, you know, if Ineos is really trying to get rid of them, if they're really worried about them, you know, you want to get rid rid of them before the final climb, specifically on like messier stages, like Saturday into Torino, that would be one. Um, Sunday, there's three climbs in succession to finish the race. You'd want to get rid of them like before the final climb. It gets harder on the on the mountain stages, though, because everything falls into more rote pacing where it's, you know, it, it is tough riding, but everything's so measured. You know, it's almost like time trials up those climbs. You know, they had that stage. It was stage seven, uh, just like a classic transition day through subalpine climbs. That's the type of stage where you want to blow it up and try to isolate them. His team is a little sloppy. They don't look super strong and they're all kind of there to win their own race. Not a ton of cohesion behind them. That's the type of stage where you need to ambush them if you really want to beat them. I thought it was a little weird that they they didn't try to do that. Um next Friday, the twenty seventh of May would be, you know maybe an example of a stage where they could do that, but not a ton of, ton of messy stages left. You know, maybe if the weather gets bad in the Dolomites, they'll have a chance, but it's it's tough to 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 bank on that. And the weird thing about the zero is everyone can say, Oh, wait until the mountains. Wait until the mountains. There's going to be big gaps. Well, the mountains might not come because if it snows up in the Dolomites, they won't race them. And they have had passes, major passes called off in the last few years. So it's a little dangerous in the Giro to just sit and wait and try to carve out time later. And the last thing I'll say before I go is everyone thinks the Giro is like, oh, you know, don't worry. You could just get, don't even worry about seconds. Just get minutes. Well, okay. Well, we have seen instances where riders have taken minutes like Chris Broome, Vincenzo Nibali you know, Henley and Gegenhardt were, were way back in 2020. But if you actually look at the difference between how the first and second riders finish overall, it's never more than 90 seconds. In the past five years, it's not been more than 90 seconds. So this is a race of, of fine margins, much more than people think. So, you know, think about time bonuses, think about how to carve out, you know, a few seconds on the top of a climb, which, you know, perhaps as I'm speaking, I'm realizing it's probably what Ineos was thinking yesterday when, when they did that attack. If they could get Carapaz up and over that climb and down the descent he steals 10 seconds by the finish that that's big at the zero because it's almost like these climbs are so hard that it neutralizes the racing a little bit and if yeah if you're really far down in the GC like Froome was you can you know you have a little bit more of a leash to get away and if you go back and watch that Froome stage from 2018 they screwed up they should not have let him go when he went but they're thinking well this guy's way down in the GC whatever we don't have to worry about it like Dumoulin goes over the the climb that from attacked on, and he just sits up and waits. Like, what is he doing? Like, that's, you know, that that wouldn't happen if they were closer on the GC, perhaps, where it, this is this weird thing happens where the more you fall back, the more freedom you get to attack, and the more time you can make up. We saw that with Guillaume on stage eight where he snuck into the breakaway, gained three minutes, and then now is back in the mix. You know, that, that all leads me to a lurking shark attack here where if you look at the GC, you have Vincenzo Nibali is... He's three minutes down in 13th place. This is like the perfect place to attack from where if he, if he gets into an early breakaway on a mountain stage, you know, they're not going to give him 10 minutes, but they're not going to turn themselves inside out to pull him back right away. You know, you have some leeway at three minutes back. So that's also something to keep an eye on. All right. Well, I will hopefully be back on, you know, more often as we get into the more exciting parts of this race. And if you want daily updates, there is a link to the Beyond the Peloton newsletter, which will provide you with daily updates to every stage, breaking it down with video clips. So sign up for that if you're interested. All right. Well, thank you so much and have a great week of watching racing. All right. Bye.